Thank you for tuning in to the Blind and Business Podcast. Our first question for you, Keris, is can you give us a bit of an introduction to yourself and also your current role? So my name's Keris. Sorry for anybody who can't see the camera. I haven't got mine on today, uh, but my name's Keris. I'm a disability and dyslexia advisor at the University of East London. So my role involves supporting disabled students with a range of disabilities um, to access all aspects of their studies. And then we can also help students with supporting them to access social events and things that they can do at the university that might be outside of the conventional sitting in a classroom studying. In addition to that, I'm a former disabled student, uh, so I studied whilst I had a visual impairment and whilst I was actually going through a deterioration and I graduated in 2017. So I've been working now for about five years in disability services and education. Amazing. And I mean, do you mind saying a bit about how was your experience at university uh, with a visual impairment? Overall, I would say good. Um, I would say it's quite mixed. Um, I had a fantastic disability team that I had a really good relationship with at a university that was very focused on inclusive design. So a lot of things were just accessible because they'd built them that way. Um, Yeah, and I loved studying, I loved researching. I did end up having to retake a year because I had a deterioration that was quite severe and then I had to relearn how to kind of use a computer again. Um, But actually it was it was the right decision for me. I'm really glad that I did it. Um, Yeah, loved, absolutely loved university, made amazing friends, had amazing nights out, um, went to all kinds of cool events. Um, I was a little bit nerdy, so went to lots of optional talks and lectures as well (laughs) and how how did you find the social kind of aspect of university for you uh so like I said I was really lucky that I I had a really great group of friends and I think they were they were key to my experience there are certain things I wish I'd have done in advance so I was often quite scared to mention that I had access needs um so often I wouldn't like I mentioned going to lectures and things so I wouldn't ask for copies of the reading list or copies of the references that they'd mentioned or wouldn't ask for the slides in advance or comment that things that used weren't accessible and could they give them to me in an accessible format now I'm very vocal about doing that so yeah um, but overall was was fantastic um just had lots of strategies in place so I'd always meet my friends in a location that I was comfortable before we went to an event if we were going to something I just make sure I researched beforehand so that I knew that I felt safe I had an amazing taxi company that I loved who knew me they knew where I lived so the second I rang up and gave them my home address they were fab and that's one of the key things I still use now is always using the same taxi company 
because I just find that they get used to you they get to know what to do what not to do and I generally ended up with the same drivers which made me feel safe as well I think being a girl who's blinding university comes with its own challenges as well yeah no definitely um and can you give us a bit of a, a brief kind of overview of um, what support universities provide for visually impaired students? Oh gosh, there's so much. Um, so, there's, um, so the one thing that's important to say is there's two different types of support. Um, there's disabled students allowance, which is government support, which I think we're going to talk about in a little bit. But the support I'll talk about now is the support that's provided by the university. And then the other thing to note is that obviously disabled students allowance is only available to a certain group of students who meet like an eligibility criteria. So if you don't meet that, you don't need to worry because I'm going to mention a lot of university support now and you can access, they can put in support that will cover the DSA. But from the university side, you can access things. So lots of universities have assistive technology rooms. So that means that you don't have to lug your laptop with your magnifier or your screen reader on around. You can just walk up to the assistive tech room and access it. Um, alternative formats are a, a staple adjustment for lots of disabled students. Uh, so that can be access to Braille, access to audio, it can be access to EPUBs, which are like electronic publications that you could read on a Kindle. And then the thing that I love recommending at the moment is a piece of, it's an app that you can get on any kind of Android or um, iPhone device that's called Dolphin Easy Reader. And that was designed in collaboration with the RNIB. And then they have um, a website called Open Source. Um, which I think is called Open Book Now or Bookshare. And on there, you can access a bunch of publications that have been converted into accessible formats. I think at the moment, they've just gone over a quarter of a million and the number is still going up. Um, and that has all kinds of things. So it can highlight text, you can change background colors, enlarge font. It's just a one-stop shop to making it accessible for you. Um, in addition to that, so kind of the conventional support then outside of the library is exam adjustments, which I think most students here will already have at school. And you can get access to that at university and that can be anything from extra time, which can be 25%, 50%, 100% based on what you need. And then at my university, we try and encourage students to use their assistive technology in exams. So that can be using a screen reader or using a magnifier in the exam room. And we'll generally say, bring your laptop with you. And then you could do it on your laptop because it's set up how you like it. And then we have someone available to do tech support. So if there's any problem in your exam, we have tech support there. And then we also have um, invigilators who can switch it up and become redescribed. So if there was any big kind of issue and your computer just broke down in the middle of your exam, there'd be someone there to help out and kind of fill in that gap. Uh, but I know lots of universities still use what we call human support. So they still have a, a redescribe so that someone to like read your exam paper to you and then type your answer for you. 
Um, and it really just depends on what a student's need is, what they want to do. So there's never any right or wrong answer when you go into a meeting to access support. It really is just, well, what do you find works best for you? And then let's roll with that and see how it goes. Um, there's, oh, there's so much as well, like recording your lectures, making sure that you have a specific seat in a lecture room, um, access to ergonomic equipment. If you had another disability that meant that maybe you couldn't sit in conventional sort of lecture theatre chairs, which can be a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that's kind of a whirlwind tour of some of the things. I think I've covered the general ones, which is we always make sure you can sit your exams, you can access all of your materials in a format that works for you and make sure that you've got access to all of the library resources. Amazing. And what what is DSA? You just mentioned it. And how does someone go about getting it and who's eligible for it? So DSA is a government scheme called Disabled Students Allowance. And it's our one thing we say, as soon as you apply for student finance, you should be applying for Disabled Students Allowance. Now the eligibility criteria, and I'm doing air quotes here, is that you have to be a home student or a UK student. And what that means is that you have to be a resident of the UK. Um, we generally, there's kind of like a general eligibility criteria and we say if you're eligible for both the student finance loan and the student finance maintenance loan, then more than likely you're going to be eligible for DSA. But if you're not sure, apply and they'll check and they'll let you know if you are or if you aren't. And if you're not, don't worry about it because the support that I mentioned, every university has like a pot of money that's designed to support students who aren't covered by DSA. So you can then ask the university to implement some of this support. You won't get all of it. So if you know you're not eligible for DSA, always say, check the support that the university is gonna give you to meet that gap. Um, but it's not financial awards. So the award is given in set categories. So we call it the equipment allowance there's a travel allowance and there's a non-medical helper allowance. There's also something called a general allowance. That's quite basic. It pays for your needs assessment. It pays for income paper. So you'll generally be recommended that if you're still working off of paper, unlike large print. Um, travel allowance, what it says, it's to support travel to and from uni. So if you're not living on campus, if your campus is really far away from halls, if you're living at home and can't use public transport, they will support you with a travel allowance so that you can get taxis to university. The other allowance, non-medical helper, this is the one that I like because there's lots of support that comes under this. So that's mobility training. So anybody that's using a long cane, a guide cane, has a guide dog, or has worked with their habilitation team or rehabilitation teams will probably know what mobility training is and that's where they teach you how to get from A to B. It's like the human version of Google Maps. Um, a sighted guide to get you to your classrooms. So that's helping you actually navigate to all of those spaces inside of the campus that are gonna change around quite a bit. A specialist support professional for visually impaired students which is a very long name. And that kind of is just like a mentor or a one-to-one -one that you can meet with once a week that can help you organize extensions, 
help make sure you've got access to your reading materials, um, help you access alternative formats. And if you don't know where to go and there's anything that's inaccessible on your sort of course pages, they can help you access bits and pieces from there as well. And then there's also the equipment allowance, which is essentially just a laptop with specialist software. And that software is gonna be like a magnifier, a screen reader, dictation software or text-to-speech. And if you don't know what any of that is, it's fine because I'll talk through the process of applying now. And as a part of that, you'll be given the opportunity to test out some of these things and they'll go into a lot more detail about what they do. So essentially you apply to DSA when you apply for student finance. We're gonna assume that you're eligible and your medical evidence has been accepted. So you do have to provide medical evidence. And I usually just say to visually impaired students, send off your certificate of visual impairment. I've never seen them be rejected, but there is a medical evidence form that you can ask your GP to complete. So if you have multiple disabilities, I always suggest using the medical evidence form because as long as the doctor fills it out and takes the yes, this person has a disability, again, it's not likely to be rejected, whereas letters get a bit more tricky. Um, so once you send off your application with the evidence, you're going to get a letter back that says you're eligible for DSA and then you're going to book a needs assessment. There's, I think now there's like 350 centres across the UK. Some people prefer to do them close to home. Some people prefer to go to the assessment centre that's like linked to the university or close to the university. You get to pick which one you want to go to. It's completely your choice. And in that assessment, they're going to sit down, have a chat with you, identify all of the potential barriers that are going to occur and then they're going to recommend one of those four categories of things to remove those barriers. It goes, they then write a report that will be sent to you, your university, and then back to DSA. Because the important thing to note is the assessment is impartial to DSA. So they get paid no matter what they recommend, whether DSA approve it all or none of it, it doesn't impact them. And they're there to help you through your DSA journey for the whole of your education. So if there was any, anything wrong with your recommendations or it's not quite enough, you can go back to that needs assessor and they can recommend more things. So it's always important to keep in touch with them as well. And then essentially once it's approved, you just get a long letter that says this is what you've been awarded. And then you have to go and email it out to all of your suppliers. And that's really important because if they your suppliers don't know until you send them that letter. So DSA do not send the entitlement letter to the suppliers. They send it to the student and the university. Um, some universities, like my university, we email the student and we kind of say, here's the name and contact numbers for your suppliers, please bring them. But it's always make sure you read through it. It's sent in an electronic format. The accessibility is a fab if you're using a screen reader or magnifier. But if you don't understand it, can't read it, can't access um, the supplier's contact information, just contact your university and ask for the disability advisor to forward it off for you to all of the suppliers. It's in their best interest that you access DSA. So they're more than happy to help you with that. And that's what they're there for. Um, so as you can tell, it's quite a long process, but essentially step one is just apply when you apply for student finance and make sure you book your needs assessment. 
And if you're stuck or confused, just email your university's disability team. Um, and I mean, you've mentioned the DSA application process and DSA, um, but is there anything else that students need to ensure that they have sorted before going to university? Um, so for me, I think it's some things that can be good to do are contact your disability team because you'll need to the support that I mentioned before you need to register to access that support so you need to send your university a copy of your medical evidence and that can be the exact same evidence you send to DSA and I think it's really important to make sure that you're organized so this is things like try and get access to your reading materials in advance um, make sure that you've got a good strong contact in your academic department because the disability team is separate so make sure you've got a, you've got contact with your academic advisor you know who they are you've kind of emailed them to introduce yourself um and then yeah just make sure you enjoy it as well I think that's really important there's a lot of admin involved I'm not gonna lie it does take a lot of setup but your parents are going to get rid of you in a couple of months. So definitely rope them in to help out. Um, and yeah, and just try and keep organised. Um, yeah, it is a fab experience. So enjoy it and catch up on your reading. And yeah. Um, and when you are at university and if you encounter issues of accessibility, who is your point of contact like or how would what would the process be so I always say if you've got that good relationship with your academic team I'd always say email them first and just copy in the disability team and just email them and say hey this powerpoint isn't accessible or I can't access x y and z if it's like course materials um, and then generally see what response you get. Sometimes they're really great and they'll be like, oh, I didn't realise, what can I do to make it better? And then you kind of advise them. If you're not confident doing that or you kind of get a response where you think, well, that's not very helpful and, or you kind of get the idea that they don't really know how to help you, you've copied in your disability team. So just book an appointment with them. That's what they're there for. That's their job. Um, so just book an appointment with them, go in, tell them what the issues are, and then they can do all of that liaising with the academics for you. Um, if it's library materials, generally every library has like a key contact. Um, so at our library, it's called an alternative formats team, and their job is to basically request and create alternative formats. So if you can't access any of your reading, then you can just get in touch with them and they can generally sort it out for you and they'll contact the publishers for you or they'll contact RNIB for you and they'll do all of that admin and heavy lifting so that you don't have to. Again, I would strongly suggest copying in your disability team um, and make sure that if you're emailing anything about accessibility, if anything's not accessible, make sure you're copying in the disability team because they keep records of what's going on. So if it ever hit the point where it wasn't going well or you weren't getting the support that you needed or the answer that you wanted, they can step in at that point and they've got a record of what's been said and what's been done. Um, and this is the other thing that's really good is make sure you research disability team. I prefer to check out, I use social media a lot. 
so I always think sort of googling a university like putting them into social media and seeing what other disabled people have said about their experience of the university is really great there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment about access to graduations which is kind of giving me an idea of how accessible and disability inclusive a university is um suppose that sits under the other question a little bit better but yeah um if you encounter any issues your disability team is there to help you but definitely research the disability team and research the disability reputation of the university and not just the equality and diversity reputation but actually look at like disability and what are they doing for disabled students and what other disabled students saying Amazing. And my last question for you, Karis, is what are your top tips for vision impaired people about to start university? Um, so have fun. Uh, definitely have fun. Make sure you're organised um, and rope your parents in. That's something that I did before I started. My mum, 100%, I think she was my personal assistant for the first six weeks before I went. She had all of the stuff scheduled in. Um, I think that's a big thing sometimes we get wrapped up in and also another good thing can be if you're on social media have a look if there's any forums going on um, I know when I started my student block had a had someone had created a Facebook group for it um, so I was able to actually meet and engage with some people before I arrived and actually was talking to one of the people I lived with before I arrived so it kind of made me feel a little bit more at ease when I when I started um, and then just make sure your support is in place and make sure you've got that reading list. So have DSA in place, university support in place, you've got your reading list. Um, yeah, and then do a bit of Googling and see if you can try and get onto one of these Facebook groups or Instagram threads or something to to yeah to just meet people before you get there amazing thank you so much Keris um and now we'll hear a bit from Ali so Ali do you mind just telling everyone a bit about yourself yeah so um hi everyone um my name is Ali Obedan um originally from um, Saudi Arabia and I'm doing my PhD now in marketing at the University of Leeds um so yeah <laughs> do you want to tell everyone what your PhD is then um, it's about artificial intelligence and um, more specifically we're looking into um, humanizing artificial intelligence so I'm looking to things like Alexa and um, chatbots and um, um, something called the digital human. Um, humans have always had this ambition of um, speaking to computers and make them um, look like themselves but um, the question always uh, whether we should do that or whether we shouldn't do that and um, um, from a business perspective, um, we're looking into how can that um, humanization affect um, firm performance and um, yeah, how, how, how it can also affect um, consumers because that's um, who we're dealing with um, in marketing. So it's really interesting, it's really developing and um, yeah, I'm just enjoying it. Uh, and how did you find starting university and navigating it with your visual impairment? Um, so um, for my current um, degree, um, I would say um, it was um, it was easy because um, I did my master's also here in Leeds. Um, so I was familiar with the um, city, with the university, with um, um, 
what can I expect um, from people here? Um, but going back, um, when I first came here to Leeds, um, it was a um, like a, an adjustment process. Um, when I first came here, it was a new city, new language, new culture, also a new um, way of teaching, um, meeting new people. Um, I was trying to make new friends here. Um, so it took some time. Uh, but I would say, um, yeah, it was um, it, it wasn't that difficult. Um, yeah, I, I find my uh, feet quite um, um, quickly. I would say, and um, yeah. And how did you find kind of the reasonable adjustments at university? How, yeah, how was it all for you? It was good because uh, when I first applied to Leeds, um, I had to um, specify that I have a disability. And uh, when I got the offer, I was contacted by um, disability services. Um, so they were asking about um, what are my specific requirements and uh, whether I'll be happy to speak with them about um, uh, reasonable adjustments that I may need. And um, yeah, we did that. Um, we had a meeting like um, maybe two or three months uh, before the start of the course. So they, they can um, uh, prepare everything and um, make everything in place before I come. And um, yeah, um, I. Uh, I really um, like that because when I first came here, um, everything was in place. So I needed a um, sighted guide um, so I can navigate between lectures and seminar rooms. And um, uh, especially at the beginning when I uh, wasn't familiar with campus. So that was um, ready for me when I first came. Um, also, I needed um, someone to um, take notes for me um, during my lectures. Um, so I can focus on the um, lecture itself rather than um, trying to make notes um, and um, trying to summarize um, what the lecturer is saying. Um, so that was nice. Um, also materials, so that was important for me. Not all materials, um, unfortunately, is accessible at the moment. So I needed um, someone to just transcribe and uh, make um, uh, inaccessible um, learning materials accessible for me so I can read them with my um, screen reader. Um, so I've contacted um, transcription services and um, they were able to um, convert everything to um, a readable or an accessible format for me. Um, also exams, um, because uh, um, I need to um, get extra um, time to do my exams, uh, but also to do them um, on computer so I can use my, um, my screen reader. And um, one of those who like both a human assistant and a technology, um, so for writing essays, um, I would prefer to write them on my own because um, that would be easier than um, dictating out someone else and uh, asking them to um, write down for me. Uh, but for other um, type of um, um, papers, so for multiple choice or other um, type of questions, I uh, prefer to have a human assistant to do that for me. Um, so ask for both and um, yeah, uh, I got both of them. It went well. Um, I got the results that um, I think I deserved. Um, so yeah, um, I'm trying to think. Um, I also got um, my uh, assistive technology. So I was originally using NVDA and um, it's great, but um, it has uh, its um, limitations. So I asked the um, skills services if I can get a copy of JAWS and they were able to uh, provide that for me as well as um, training, technical training on using that because um, it's similar to NVDA, but um, um, I need to switch to that to do some statistics. So I needed some technical support that was uh, provided for me as well. Um, so yeah, 
I would say it's an individual um, uh, assessment. Um, so what uh, I may um, require, or I what I may um, needed is will be different to somebody else. Uh, so always um, try to speak with disability services and um, try to discuss your needs, and then they will be able to hopefully provide individualized um, support for your specific requirement. And what did you find most challenging at university? And also on the flip side, what was your, your favorite thing about university? Um, so what's most challenging? Um, I would say the beginning, um, because um, again, um, it's a, um, uh, a different place. So if, you, if you're coming from school, um, it will be different. So the um, rigor of the um, teaching will be different. Um, the independent life um, will be different. Um, uh, yeah, it's just um, like a new phase um, of somebody's um, life. Even now, um, like doing a PhD is also um, like a different experience. I feel more responsible of like uh, doing my research rather than having someone um, trying to tell me what to do. So every phase in university is um, a different phase. It's a new phase. So at the beginning, um, I think someone has to um, adjust to that. But after that, um, I think it goes up from there. And uh, my favorite thing um, at Junior at campus is um, finding friends and making friends and also making friends from um, different backgrounds. Uh, because um, here um, in Leeds, and um, I presume in most um, campuses around the UK, you get um, people from different backgrounds, different cultures, and different um, even countries. Um, so you get to know about them and their um, traditions and the way they live. So it's always fun. Um, to uh, have that social aspect to um, university. Um, yeah, that's my favorite thing. Amazing. And can you tell us a bit more about the social side, um, societies, kind of extracurriculars, and just yeah. in general? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I'm, uh, here I want to go back um, to 2013 because. Um, Although I'm currently doing my PhD and I might appear to have um, really figured out uh, regarding university, um, when I first finished high school, um, so I was born with erythematous pigmentosa and um, it was gradually decreasing until I finished school in 2013. And that's the point where um, it was um, kind of bad where I had to um, find um, or ask for adjustments or um, really um, try to think about it rather than just um, live it through. And that was a really sensitive um, um, time in my life that I had um, to really figure out what I'm going to do after school. Do I need to go to university? What um, university I'm going to? What kind of support will I need? And um, honestly, at that point, I was um, afraid and I was naive. And I thought that um, the best thing to do at that time is not to go um, to campus, but rather to um, study from home. Um, so I did my bachelor's um, with a distance learning program, and that meant that I had to um, learn uh, from home and do my exams only on campus. So I did that for four years um, for the entirety of my um, bachelor's program. And that was great. That meant that I had um, uh, that I learned and finished my, the program in my comfort zone where I had my um, tools and my um, laptop and assistive technology and people around me who um, can support me but it also meant that I missed um, on the social aspect of university uh, because 
at university, um, the main thing is a degree. So you come here to learn, but also to make friends, um, to go through experiences, um, to learn uh, how to be an independent person and to just grow up as a person, as a human being. So I thought that um, I missed on that aspect. I finished that um, degree um, really quite well in terms of um, my grades, but I also thought that um, I, uh, I missed on all of that um, other side of university. So that's why I, I decided to not just only um, do another degree, but I do a degree in a very different way. So to come to another country, um, to be on campus, to go out, to make friends, uh, to make up for the time that, um, that I missed um, earlier in my um, bachelor's degree. And when I first came, when I came here, I had the chance to do that. So we set up a disabled um, network society here in Leeds, um, that was the first one. Um, I went um, out with my friends um, to play different sports. So we were playing goalball, we played, um, we did tandem tracking, uh, tandem cycling, sorry. Um, we, we also participated in different um, uh, events, um, cultural events, um, also debates and um, um, like academic events, uh, things with guide dogs. Uh, all sorts, um, so just things for fun and drawing, but also things for um, serious things for um, society and politics and all of that. I I really um, uh, thought that I need to um, be engaged, and um, yeah, that added a lot um, to my um, experience. So I would say again, um, university is a place where you learn, but you also a place where you socialize and grow up as a person. So yeah. Um, the social element is very significant. And my last question is, what are your top tips for students about to go to university? Um, I would say have confidence in yourself. Um, sometimes uh, we feel in doubt about, um, again, um, coming out and um, leaving home and uh, um, being a new person, an independent person. Uh, that maybe um, like you may feel that doubt, but always have a have a confidence in yourself. Also, go out and make friends and socialize. I can't I, I cannot emphasize that you know um, go out and make friends. It will be worth it. It will be fun. It will make your life um, much 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 uh, easier and fun and memorable uh, at university. So yeah, those are the two main things that I would advise. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much. We will now open the floor for any questions. So if you want to put it in the chat or if you want to unmute yourself and ask them, uh, now would be the time. I had a question for our panel. Um, we, Ali, you touched on it um, a little bit in, in one of your, your questions, but I wonder for both our, our panel speakers, um, living away from home, what was that experience like living on and off campus, kind of moving into a new place? First one to go first. Do you want to go first, Ali? Um, yeah, I can go. Um, uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. Again, um, it was something different that I wasn't um, used to um, because I was living um, with my family and um, um, yeah, everything was just um, sorted out for me. Uh, but um, here I had to, um, again, uh, be more independent and um, learn myself with 
yeah, uh, for doing my groceries and um, just taking um, general um, care of my place. And um, yeah, it was um, it, it, it was alright. Um, just needed adjustment at the beginning. Uh, but if you give it um, time and you learn um, and you try to um, figure out um, the area and uh, where the um, uh, shops and the um, store that you need um, to access um, around your home, uh, I think it gets easier by time. Yeah, I think I agree. So my personal experience was quite interesting because I started university with more vision than when I finished. Mm. Um, and I did my undergraduate at university. Um, some of the things I wish I'd known was that you can access support with learning things like, you know, tactile dots on cuppers. And um, I didn't realise that my university could have come in and helped facilitate a conversation with the people that I was living with, especially in sort of my, like my second, second year or my third year. Um, they could have come in and kind of had a conversation about like not moving my stuff around. Uh, but generally, I think it was just being confident to say to people, oh, do you mind just giving me a hand with this? Or can you just show me this and making sure that I was, I knew where things were and that I was comfortable in the space that I was in. And I think after first year, it gets easier because I was living with, um, for a part of that time, I was living with friends. Um, so I definitely think at the end of the first year, if you've got a group of friends and you can move in with them and then don't be afraid to get in contact with the support team in that area or the support team where your parents live um, and get them to come out and kind of help you set up the space in a way that works for you. Thank you. We've had a few questions come in on the chat. So we have a question from Lauren which is, are unis flexible with the assistive technology they provide, or do I need to start using laptop software? Until now, I have used iPads. Um, so this is, this is an interesting question. Um, it kind of depends on your needs assessor. So there's actually a report I was reading the other day where a student was sharing their experience, and um, the needs assessor had kind of said no to recommending an iPad. Um, I, but then I have seen disabled students, especially visually impaired students who have been recommended MacBooks and iPads. It will be recommended through DSA. I've not known a unit, if you're not eligible for DSA, a university is gonna give you a, a Windows PC. You're gonna get a laptop that runs Windows. Um, I would say that a lot of university systems tend to be more compatible with desktops. So you can run them on a MacBook, but they tend to be more compatible with Microsoft software. So now lots of universities are running things like Microsoft Teams and then Moodle, which is its kind of compatibility is better with Microsoft operating systems. So I'd maybe definitely go into your needs assessment and ask for an iPad to be quite adamant that that's where you work best and that's what you want. But I'd also say that if you have access to a computer and you can get a copy of NVDA downloaded onto there, which Ali mentioned he was using, I definitely recommend getting a copy of that on a desktop and start learning the keyboard shortcuts and how to use it and move around. And that way, if you end up with JAWS, it, the transition will be easier. 
Brilliant. Thank you. We've had another question come in from Yasmin, who asks, for students doing science degrees, what accessibility arrangements can be made in the lab slash two equipment? Um, are you happy for me to answer that one? Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is a tricky one. It kind of depends, unfortunately, in a lab setting, this kind of caveat of reasonable adjustment comes in. Um, and that idea of reasonable is it kind of means how much is it going to cost? Um, I know students who've done science degrees um, and some universities have recommended they have equipment built in where the, the microscopes and things are linked up to magnifiers and then they've been able to operate off that. I've known students who are doing degrees where it hasn't relied on any kind of, um, they're not doing any microscope work um, and it's lots of lab experiments. They've been able to get what's called a practical support assistant. Um, and that's the person who will come into the sessions with you and kind of help you out. If you're doing anything science related that has lab work, I would be saying you need to get in touch with your disability team now and you need to be going to open days and having conversations with those universities that you're looking into and consider a wide range of universities and really drill down on what is that support in the lab going to be like. Um, and even, you know, if you go to an open day, ask the university if you can come in and go see their lab and have a tour of the lab, you're, you're their customer. So ask for what works for you. Thank you. Patrick asks, do any universities have better reputation than others? Are there any to potentially look out for? Um, so I will say, Ali, your, your university is getting a bit of bad press um, this morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> to be honest, it's, it's a mixed bag. There's definitely so no university is perfect. Um, there's lots of stuff going on at the moment about universities improving their accessibility. Um, I would say focus on the disability team. So as much as I'm saying that Leeds University might be having a bit of bad press at the moment, their disability team, I've heard from two different people, I think maybe three or four different people, that their disability team are absolutely fantastic and really go all out for their students. Um, I don't know if you'd agree with that, Ali. Um, so I just think it's about doing your research, researching the general support that's available. And there's, yeah, there's absolutely 100% universities that are better than others. Um, so I'd really drill down on what are your hard line? What do I need to succeed? What are the things that I can manage on my own? And what are the things that I need to know 100% that they're doing? So for example, I know some students who are very big, they're not really fussed if the PowerPoint slides aren't accessible but they want to know there's a good library service there because their degree is research intensive. So they have to do a lot of literature reviews. So they have to do a lot of reading. Um, so definitely look at the breakdown on your course. So on all of the websites for courses, I'll give you a breakdown of how they teach the course and what they expect that you're going to be able to do. 
So I'd absolutely have a look at that and then challenge your disability team on how they're going to help remove any barriers in those areas. And be, be a detective. I mean, hopefully you guys are logging on and you're applying in, say, 12, 18 months. Uh, so that's plenty of time to really start having a look and just use. I wouldn't just rely on university websites. I would 100% use peer review. So go onto Facebook, go and try and find students who've been at that university. There's a network called Disabled Students UK and Thomas Pocklington Trust also have a student support Facebook group. And I think Victor have a student support portal. Um, so check those out and try and link up with visually impaired and other disabled students who are in university at the moment. How much is something here? Yeah, um, I just um, want to support what Karis is um, saying because um, I think it's an individual experience. Um, so while reading online and while reading reviews and um, seeing what other things um, thing can say, uh, keep in mind that that's their personal experience that what they had um, during their time at university. So uh, for me, I would say um, generally uh, positive things about Leeds, maybe because um, Leeds is the only university that I attended um, here in the UK, uh, while others may go to different universities and may compare uh, between them, some will be better than others. Um, so yeah, just be careful of that uh, while reading some um, online reviews that that's a personal experience of the, um, of the poster. Thank you. We've had a question from Beer who asks, for students doing interior design, what kind of support will I get? Um, it's kind of hard to specifically say what support a person will get because it is very much based on your individual needs and your sort of individual conditions. That might be how much residual vision do you have? how much is your vision going to deteriorate, how much experience do you have with technology. Um, I would say for anything that requires kind of practical work, you will likely get around about five hours of sort of library support or a practical support worker um, to sort of come in and help you do any sort of physical aspects of that course or any visual aspects that aren't accessible. So I've not got much experience with interior design, but I do know someone who was doing a fine art degree um, who had some dexterity issues in the hand and also had a visual impairment. And they would have someone come in with them for a couple of hours every week and help them on that course. So there's always support available. Um, but it would, again, it depends on the university that you attend and they can also recommend some support in your needs assessment as well. Uh, but I wouldn't want to say specifically, you're definitely going to get a practical support worker or you're definitely going to get a note taker because again, it, it depends. And sometimes they prefer technology-based solutions and sometimes it's human-based solutions. And that's just based on your personal preference. Thank you, Karis. I believe that is all the questions in the chat, but I just had a quick follow-up one. Um, with any technology that you get through DSA, such as a laptop with assistive technology on it, once you graduate, do you get to keep that technology or do you have to give it back? Oh no, that's yours. Keep it. 
uh, keep it and keep it in. So your warranty will end and your insurance will end uh, because the SA will pay for warranty insurance. But that's yours to do what you want with then. I think I think I managed to keep my going for three years after I graduated and then it finally gave up the ghost. They're quite durable studio computers because the SA don't want to have to buy you another one. If it does break or get damaged in your second year or your third year or your fourth or fifth year, they will, it's covered under warranty and insurance. So make sure you've got that set up and they will replace it for you or they'll do a health check and repair. So you have that tech support all the way through, which will end when you graduate. But yeah, you get to keep the device. And then you can also apply for access to work when you get your job. And then they can recommend for, for work, they'll then give you, they'll, they're kind of like the DSA for when you have a job. So they'll then recommend the same things again that DSA recommended and get and pay for that and get it all set up for you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, well, thank you everyone for joining. Um, thank you, Ali and Keris, for your insights. And yeah.